What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Renegade Capes on the Renegade Pop Culture Podcast Network. My name is Mike, and joining me, we've got Mr. Organoid Zero, Brock. Yo. Um, we've got the director, Josh. Hey, how's it going, guys? And we've got Hayden. Hello. And today is the last uh, Capes podcast of the year. Where we're closing out with two of, honestly, some of the best Marvel um, movies, shows, anything that came out in the year 2021. We're talking Hawkeye and, of course, Spider-Man No Way Home. We'll start first with Hawkeye. Um, Brock and I, on, on his channel, did reviews for all six episodes, but... Um, you want to just give us like a general, a general, um, your general thoughts? Uh, me? Oh, me? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, it, it's the best series that Marvel's made by a country mile. That I, I, I never thought that in the year of our Lord 2021 that I would be bragging about the fact that I got a Hawkeye miniseries <laughs> on Marvel, but, uh, or Disney Plus, but the dialogue is off the charts good. Everyone has amazing chemistry. I could listen to Yelena and Kate talk to each other in an elevator for 14 hours and never get sick of it. It just, everyone was great. I, I, I want the new Hydra to be the freaking tracksuit mafia. I want them in every movie that we have from now on. I'll oh, never God, get yes. sick of them. I, the, just I again chemistry that dude talking with Kate and him about trying to get tickets to his girlfriend to imagine dragons. I'm like, that is so dumb. Like, why are we having these conversations? But it was written well. I'm pretty sure the first person who I heard bring this up was Gwen, but it's like I felt like I was watching a Shane Black miniseries. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. I want a season two, like yesterday. <laughs> oh, hell yes. Uh, Josh, your overall impressions of Hawkeye? I adored it. I'm, I'm at that point. See, I'm, 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 I'm in two extremes when it comes to Marvel stuff. I love when, well, when in, in terms of comics in general, I love when things go absolutely balls to the wall, insane with concepts. Give me some Grant Morrison or Alan Moore style like conceptual wackiness. Or if give me street level stuff that feels intimate and rich. For a long time, Daredevil was that itch for me, as well as the first season of Jessica Jones. Of the Disney Plus shows, Hawkeye is probably my all time favorite because it just scratches that itch that I've wanted from Marvel ever since the Netflix verse more or less kind of fizzled out until it's starting to more or less slowly make its way back into the main canon and plus it doesn't hurt that it's based on probably one of my all-time favorite comics which is the matt fraction and david Aja run of Hell hawkeye yeah. Oh, yeah. which i imagine uh, our fearless leader was pretty happy to see some of this stuff come to life because i remember all the way back to age of ultron he was he said that isn't my hawkeye i like my hawkeye dysfunctional and a hot mess and he oh. certainly is a hot mess in oh. this series. I adore it so much. 
what about you, Hayden? I how did you how did you like Hawkeye? Um, I out of all of the um, Disney Plus Marvel shows, this is absolutely my second favorite. Nice. Um, and um, that's just uh, personally because I I will always love uh, Wanda Maximoff. That's just me. But <laughs> a close second would be this show, and I was the most. Um, it was uh, the most entertaining um, to me uh, in a lot of ways, and. Look, it used a Depeche Mode song at one in uh, episode uh, two, which, if you know me, I love my Depeche Mode. <laughs> so that automatically gave it points. So um, very entertaining. I loved uh, the action and uh, how they shot um, a lot of it. And again, the, like people have said, the casting is pitch perfect. Um, love Haley Seinfeld. Love Florence Pugh. Just love the show a lot of fun um yeah basically echo echoing all of you um but <laughs> we'll get to that later ah <laughs> hawkeye is great it's i i still contend that loki is probably the um the best or most ambitious of the marvel shows but just on a pure enjoyment level hawkeye is my favorite um i I absolutely adore the casting of Haley Steinfeld. Uh, the chemistry that she had with Florence Pugh as uh, Yelena was something I never even knew I wanted. And now I just want season two to be just the two of them going on all the adventures. Oh, yeah. Uh, the villains were great. Um, probably some of my favorite, like, stupid antagonists I've seen in a while. <laughs> And the fact that they're so relatable too, like, like, the, like that one, that one henchman, he just, he just wants to make his girlfriend happy. <laughs> I just, I can't believe that we actually got the trench, the tracksuit mafia. Not only that, we got a uh, grill and the rest of the, um, you know, the rest of the people in the apartment who became for this series, the LARPers, <laughs> which is, Probably one of the best uh, decisions they could have made. Yeah, and and this this show, like I I appreciate. I told Mike I just appreciated that it had a lot of moments that felt like they were genuine and honest. Like it wasn't like a forced moment to be funny. It was just genuinely funny. Yeah. <laughs> it has my second. It has my second favorite Hawkeye line that is probably in my top five favorite lines in anything that MCU's ever done. My favorite Hawkeye line ever, or favorite train of lines, is always going to be when he's talking to Wanda about how. We're floating in the sky, and I have a bow and arrow. None of this makes sense. <laughs> that's, that's always going to be my favorite line. But when... Uh, ah! What is Echo's brother's name? Um, the head tracksuit mafia dude that had the neck tattoo. I can't think of his name. Kazi? Uh, Kazi. When Kazi and those two guys are on the opposite end of the ice rink, and then, and then uh, Hawkeye flings them three arrows, takes the other two guys out, and that guy blocks it, and he goes, nice shot, and then Hawkeye just screams, yeah, no shit! It's <laughs> uh, like, I get it. I'm really good at this. I don't need the compliment. Oh, that was perfect. And, it, it's, and it's just amazing. Like, there, There's this common criticism with all the MCU shows, like on Disney+, Plus, which is, why why make them just every they they usually tend to feel like 
really long extended movies that they could have cut around to make it a very tight two hour adventure. And this is the first one where I feel, or not even the first one, because WandaVision wouldn't work in that sense. But with Hawkeye, I don't think you could get that as a movie. And I think it works better as this kind of low scale kind of thing, because I swear to God, I pointed this out on Twitter. I really applauded them for having three straight episodes where they just kind of dedicated it to the downtime of Hawkeye and Kate just kind of figuring their stuff out. Like, yeah, those, those were all the, those were all like the great moments. Um, And I heard people saying, I'm bored by all this. It's like, what are you talking about? This is genuine emotion right here. Just the fact that Kate wanted to at least somewhat salvage Clint's Christmas by bringing over pizza and they watched movies while they figured out how they can take down the tracksuit mafia or or, or just when, when Clint's talking to his kid. Oh my God. Why would you want that stuff cut out? It's one of those things where I talked about this with Mike and many things. And if like, if you're a superhero show or anything that is basically bent around action and you just don't ever put downtime in it because you're like, it's boring. I'm sorry. If you can't do downtime well, then it's boring. But if you do downtime well, it's never boring. I would argue that downtime is not, not only not boring, but a necessity just just for the sake of getting to know these characters and getting to know them on a more on a more intimate level and that's why the more i think about it episodes four and five or really just all of the episodes that burton birdie directed are yeah. my favorites yeah and it's like one of my f- whole entire favorite moments, and they're like two of them again. Like one of my favorite characters, I did think I was gonna like was Jack. <laughs> oh my god, Jack! Couple. So like him not talk, him not realizing that every metaphor or like saying that he says is wrong, and then they're just talking about it and having a really sweet moment, and then you have an entire m- montage of Clint just showing her how to snap a button to turn on a TV. I didn't need that in there, but I got it and I loved it. And it turned into a moment later with Kingpin. I'm like, it was perfect. Setups, payoffs. Gwen was really on the nugget when she compared it to a Shane Black kind of escapade. This, it really did give me like kiss, kiss, bang, bang, nice guy vibes, especially Iron Man 3. Mm-hmm. And it, on top of that, it understands because some superhero stories very rarely do they set them at christmas but the ones that are set at christmas are somehow just made even better because they really do capture just kind of the isolation that comes with that that holiday season and i i love seeing how just the these two particular characters in particular how they deal with the holidays like how kate at least at first glance, even though I love her to pieces, she's a hot mess. But and also she's Haley Steinfeld. I was about but, to say you could stop that statement halfway through there. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but, you know, Kate is kind of blase, just caught, caught in her own world, and how Clint's just really trying to keep his himself like down at the ground and everything, and just seeing the polar opposite of how these two just kind of 
collide with each other around this time of the year and how they kind of learn from each other. It's it's genuinely really beautiful and, in my opinion, kind of subtle for the MCU. Just the fact that Clint, after, after Kate tried to salvage Clint's Christmas by sharing the pizza and everything, and after everything's all said and done, he invites Kate with his family for Christmas. I don't know. That's that's really sweet. It is. Oh yeah. Now speaking of subtle, Hayden, talk to us about uh, Rogers the Musical. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Rogers the Musical is um, something that I would absolutely pay full price to see um, because. Um, in case uh, you didn't know, I love trash musicals. So <laughs> that's like one of like my go-to things. Like, and I was so happy um, with that uh, that uh, Easter egg that they uh, threw in uh, in the last episode, mm -hmm. and uh, showing that. And y'all, the Spider-Man turn off the dark vibes I was getting from <laughs> that. Which I can go on about the um, about Spider Man Turn Off the Dark, and but did, I did you ever actually see a live uh, production of that? I do not. I have not, and I regret it. One day I will see a Broadway flop, but um, that was not the one. I was hoping for to see Diana before that closed. So, anyway, but um, I just want to bring up um, that they got Adam Pascal of uh, Rent fame. Um, uh, for um, for Rogers the musical, and uh, that made my <clears throat> musical theater uh, former uh, rent head uh, um, self like super happy, and I thought it was delightful. That that's actually that's actually really cool casting. Yeah, I I'm I don't necessarily love Rent, but I I like a lot of the cast members from previous productions and <laughs> so someone someone at, at marvel knows well yeah someone someone must know what's up when it comes to when it comes to broadway because this is like as accidentally um brian darcy james aka um the man who um the actor who plays uh kate's uh father um he is uh no slouch when it comes to broadway <laughs> He, oh, really? uh, he was Shrek in uh, the original cast of Shrek the Musical. And I, I know that was a thing. <laughs> I it's on it's on Netflix. If you want to watch it, I don't hate it. I, I don't hate Shrek the Musical. That's and he was also um in uh the original uh, cast of uh, Something Rotten, which is a show that I, I really like. Um he was oh. in, he's been in Hamilton as uh, King George, uh so He's a, and uh, next to normal. Um, so he has a big uh, Broadway pedigree as well, which I just wanted to bring up because nice. that is my venue. <laughs> Under and over Hayden at 40, at, at uh, 40%. If we were not in the middle of COVIDville, shitsville world right now, do we think that they'd actually be having this on Broadway if the world was normal? Well, we just had, uh, well, we have had, as before said, um, we have had a Spider-Man musical that has a long history and um, 
again, Diana just closed. Um, we had Lestat the musical. So, you know, anything is game, honestly. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they were to do something like this for real. Just would the, would the MCU at that point be the only like production company in that specializes with comic book films to get an EGOT? Oh, wow. That's that is a thought mm -hmm. I'm not prepared to have. You know, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it's impossible. There we go. <laughs> things have happened. It, I, things have happened. I bring that up because I read something like er, earlier in the day when I was just really down earlier, but uh, uh, apparently Kevin Feige was the one that really pushed for Rogers the musical to actually have the stinger. Oh, that doesn't shock me. Everyone was like, are you serious? And he's like, no, 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 we need to see this. <laughs> Trust me, just the, that detail, it's going to be so fun. Oh, yeah. One more thing before we kind of go back to a little bit more of the show. Uh, Mark Mark Shaman, the composer, actually mm -hmm. has a, a cameo um, somewhere in the audience. Nice. I noticed him. Nice. Very nice. That was lovely. Now, getting back to the show proper. Um, bef okay, before, before you watch the show compared to after... What were your initial thoughts on Echo getting a spinoff? Hayden, I'll start with you. I was uh, I was um, Team Echo from the jump. So um, honestly, my position has not changed before or after. It's always been, yeah, I'd I think I would like to see a show of her. I, I just, you know, um, she is, um, um, you know, um, we could use some... Uh, more disabled uh, superheroes, uh, and I am all for that, and uh, all for watching her kick ass again and again. Nice. I'll I'll admit I wasn't as familiar with the character on the page, um, so I didn't really have an opinion at first um, about an Echo spinoff. But the fact that the fact that I knew that she was a character from this show meant oh. Okay, so Marvel has a lot of faith in in Hawkeye. Then we met um, the character, and I fell in love instantly. I mm -hmm. I got it. I understood. <clears throat> and now I need I need that like happening yesterday. Josh, what about you? So I'm kind of I was on board for the show for Echo before seeing Hawkeye. Upon hearing that she was going to be on Hawkeye, but in a very weird way because. I'm going to be honest, I've never cared for Echo's story in Daredevil. I I, I really got into a huge Daredevil kick thanks to a colleague of mine on YouTube, Matt Draper, who just wrapped Daresember this month. Go to his channel. He's got a lot of great videos about Daredevil every December, like how he did one last year about Charlie Brown and Daredevil and how they're both similar around the holidays. Oh wow. It's 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 a it's a yeah, masterpiece it's... of a video. But uh since he does a lot of Daredevil stuff, you know, I went through a good deal of Daredevil runs and I went from Smith's Guardian Devil to David Mack's Parts of a Hole where where Echo is introduced and I'm going to admit I never finished it. 
And I think a part of that is because I love David Mack as an artist. I'm getting used to him as a writer. I started reading Kabuki and it's, it's masterful, but I think either it's just the fact that David Mack is very poetic. And on top of that, mixing that poeticism with Joe Casada's artwork, it it's kind of whiplash for me. Mm. And it, it and while reading it, I'm just I just couldn't care, truth be told. But I do know about Echo, and I thought she is a character I would like to see more of, though. And I always felt it was a wasted opportunity that she wasn't on Daredevil after reading a whole bunch of Daredevil. So seeing this. And hearing that she's having a show, I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be something special. And then watching the show, just the fact that she got me choked up a few times. That that that's that's magical right there. And I think the actress, I say this a lot now, but I swear to God, like agents need to start hiring this actress right away and start booking her for stuff. What's her name? Uh, um, Alequa Cox. I don't know if I pronounced that right. Um, yeah, she is magical, <clears throat> and if this is any indication of what Echo is going to be like, especially that final scene in the show, I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to it. By the way, I just have to point out how awesome it is that within like like within barely a month, um, the MCU has given us two great uh, deaf superheroes. And both, uh, um, both women of color and uh, one with a prosthetic leg. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, no. Uh, Brock, I know we've talked about this before, but um, the, what, what is the difference between your initial impressions of Echo getting a spinoff and now that we've seen her on the show? Um, I, I, I didn't didn't even know echo existed before she was announced for this show so um (laughs) i I was just kind of like marvel's making a show about her and she's on hawkeye i'm like they got a lot of faith in her at this point i trust the process so like when she got announced for it then instantly within the first episode of seeing her even for the five seconds we saw her when uh kate and clint were captured by the tracksuits and you got to see her for a second i'm like she looks like a mean girl that could just mess someone up if need be and i was like cool and then they got more into it and got i got to know more of her connections to the uh brick wall in the room that nobody wanted to call by their first name (laughs) until the very very end but uh, yeah i i'll gladly see a show about her i have no idea what it's gonna be about i have a rough idea but nothing for sure yeah, I've 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 got some ideas in my head now too. Um, so let's address so let's address the kingpin in the room. Can, can I can I get something just off my chest here? I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have, a, I'm gonna have a wee bit of a rant, just just just, just a small one. Oh, a Brock rant. <laughs> yeah, these are always fun. Every, every <laughs> Mike knows about <laughs> everyone and their mother knows that I could get passionate sometimes. Anyone. And I swear anyone, friends of mine included and not, that are bitching about this portrayal of Wilson Fisk, the direction is that way, and that is where you can go ahead. If your head is so far up your ass 
that you were just going out of your way to bitch about this depowered Wilson Fisk? Let's go over some things. He got shot by an arrow in the heart and said, okay, busted it off, didn't even pull it out. He got hit at about 60 miles an hour by a car and then deflected it like a flea. He got hit by multiple explosive arrows that would have killed about 12 men. He's likely just survived a point-blank gunshot to the head and is going to walk it off. This is the most powerful Kingpin's ever been. So I can shut the hell up. Like also, now. Also the fact that um, I believe uh, Vincent D'Onofrio uh, looked at the character as though um, he had uh, just uh, gone through um, the blip and lost uh, everything. Yeah. Yeah, that tracks. And so, also everyone that hates his look, it's literally the cover of a Wilson com- of a Fist comic. So... Enough of this, they don't know what they're doing when they're literally doing the character as much justice as they humanly possibly could. There we go. Also, <laughs> also, um, as... As, as I've as I've learned, like um, from the comics, part part of part of Echo's story is that um, she shoots Kingpin, and you know he actually go he actually goes blind in mm-hmm. one eye. Yep. So if he can survive, if he can survive everything that came before that, dude can survive anything. And and yeah. rule of thumb is if you do not see a character die. They are alive. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Not see a body. The character is alive, and that is just an, basically an unspoken rule of like all movies and shows. It, yeah. It's kind of horrifying how, from what I've gathered of people being so upset online, like oh, Fisk is so underpowered. Uh, it's kind of surprising that I think the thing that tracks is a lot of them really wanted to see Fisk due to Kate Bishop, what he did to that one guy in Daredevil Season 2 with the car door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, look, I'll admit, there was a part of me a little bit disappointed with how they ended Fisk for the season, especially after hearing what an alternate ending was going to be for Hawkeye, which was going to be showing the Ronin sword being delivered to a still-alive kingpin which has a note attached to it that says, hey, fucko, leave my family alone. <laughs> ah, ah. Oh, that nice. would have been great. But nice. that was the confirmation that I, I needed, truth be told, because I'll admit that was the tiniest bit disappointing for me because when Fisk was being teased, just from seeing that big, bulbous freaking shape and then that thick-ass hand... On, on on Maya's face and that that distinct <laughs> me and Crystal lost our minds like oh my god oh my god it's him it's him and he finally comes in on episode six and he's just amazing just again seeing that an Avenger even if it's Hawkeye just that an Avenger is like oh man we gotta deal with him mm-hmm. shit. And remember when episode one, when when Clint just said, and I fought Thanos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I've said, like, people have compared it, and I've talked about this with Mike. I'm glad they can still do street-level stuff. And the way they're setting up Kingpin, 
of how he's kind of got to regain himself with some proper timing. Kingpin could be the street level Thanos of the MCU. I would very much love that. I would love it if they do. I would love it if they do what Chip Zdarsky is doing right now with the comics where Fisk, it's already happened before. I think when Charles soul was in charge, but Fisk is the mayor of New York now. Hmm. And in the comics, he's basically doing a street level civil war arc because after the, after the purple children just wiped uh, Matt Murdoch's identity off the face of the earth, like anybody who knew that Matt Murdoch was daredevil, they don't know it anymore. And hmm. one day when Fisk is like checking the files, he's like, man, fuck daredevil checks his files sees that it's blank and fisk is like oh this son of a bitch okay he got one over on me i'll get one over on all those cape people and he goes on tv is just like i am working to outlaw superheroes in town because of all the destruction and everything and of course everybody's like come on fisk are you seriously gonna do it and he sure enough does it, turns it into like martial law and everything. Oh, God. In, Mar- in I love how I'm going to outlaw superheroes in the Marvel version of New York. Exactly. Where- <laughs> so you have like, you, you have like the Spider-Mans, you have Jessica Jones and Luke Cage, you got Captain America, and you even got Tony Stark there. And they're just like, Fisk, what are you doing, my guy? You're, you're, you're fighting a losing battle. I don't know where it's going right now, but it's ending with Tony Stark running for mayor for the election year. Wow. Obviously, we can't do that now because, you know, Tony Stark kind of did the old Sayonara Carbonara, but, you know. Oh, that's that's funny. Bottom line, Fisk is awesome, and I love how big they made him feel. Mm -hmm. I, I remember they said that they did some that they were going to do some CGI work on him to make him look bigger. Oh, like, like the, like the Bill Sienkiewicz drawing. Yeah. Like the people, I thought that it was going to be like that, but I do think that they did some kind of like digital touch up on him. Cause I remember that was a common complaint with daredevil back when it was airing. And I don't want any viewers to say, what are you talking about? We love Fisk. No, I remember being in the trenches on Facebook around that time. People were like, he's too small to be Kingpin. You want to know what's funny? He looks like a meatball. He does, but like even Michael Clark Duncan, the rhino of a man that he was, was still small compared to comic book Kingpin. (laughs) Comic book Kingpin is a brick wall with a head. (laughs) I mean, that's what he is. So, and it's like they did a lot of stuff. Do people remember that Tom Hardy is like five foot six? Tom Hardy is a very small dude, and they made him look giant next to Christian Bale. So with proper camera working and a little bit of upscaling, Vincent D'Onofrio is a stock dude. It doesn't take much. And, I mean, as long as he's bald, (laughs) like, they can take care of the rest. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I, I will say, wasted opportunity to have Jeremy Renner and Vincent D'Onofrio share a scene together. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I will say that. In fact, as much as I do love the series, and I'll admit, I do love the finale. I did feel like the finale was a bit rushed. 
Like the action was great. And I love how everything paid off. But it's just the fact that they had to get all the eggs in the same situation and so forth. Like for for my money, like as far as like how they construct it, it's probably my my third favorite finale of like the MCU TV shows with Falcon and the Winter Soldier probably having the best one just in how like it just organically goes in and it just completely pays off everything but never feeling like it has to rush everything hmm. so I, I guess I see where people kind of get at that but that also comes from me just wanting more of this show, truth be told. And also, honestly, I think that's my that that's my thing. I I just want more. And also, like we do have to. There is the COVID in the room that has yeah. been apparently not been kind to these uh, finales. So yeah, like I they had like to redo they... the entire end of uh, Captain America and our uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yeah. Didn't they? Yep. It's it's just. It's a it's a crap situation, but um, I think it's just like kind of something like to like that we're kind of that I'm just kind of like learning to accept and just realize, you know, under the circumstances, this might be the best that we were going to get. It's unfortunate, but I mean, just the fact that we got it as good as it was. <laughs> Like of all the the Marvel shows, I think it's probably the most consistent too. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Like the one the one I had the most problems with because of of COVID was Falcon and the Winter Soldier. But that being said, the highs of that show are still some of like Marvel's best, including cast casting um, Carl Lumbly as uh, Isaiah Bradley. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like. I'm speaking for me, but like in general, I think the one that kind of feels the most like disposable in that sense, I think it's probably why it's the worst one in my opinion, but it's still pretty good is what if, because it's meant to be just like bite-sized stories. Yeah. And those episodes, they range from cute to, oh my God, this is actually really cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> WandaVision is great conceptually and I'll be honest, I think it's important enough as like a landmark for the studio that I think it gets a pass no matter what. But yeah, really one division is um is <laughs> the proof of concept that the yeah. MCU on television can work. And they can do some weird stuff. <laughs> yeah. Though I will admit I wish that those middle <laughs> episodes were a bit funnier. Hmm. Like, especially the, the Malcolm in the Middle episode, as I like to call it, that one made me a little bit more disappointed because I was like, oh, no, that's my one of my favorite comedy shows. Oh, yeah. Come on, you can get more laughs out of this. And Loki, I mean, Loki's just nuts. That's the, that's the comic book wackiness that I love. Mm -hmm. Now, Kevin Feige, I got a small pitch for you for season two. In the comics... Kate goes to California to become a private detective. Have her instead stay in New York, but, you know, in between stuff, she's got to get a job because, you know, she doesn't have her family's money anymore or something like that. All of it's being spent on litigation and stuff for her mom. So she takes a job being an apprentice 
for a private eye in New York. She goes to work with Alias Investigations. Oh, that Jessica would be awesome. Jones. <laughs> that would be great. I'd be okay with Kevin. that. I'd be okay with that. I would I, I, the same. Yeah. I, I just, what I want is to slowly have everyone drip fed in and it to become painfully obvious after a while that we're not getting out of this back. I've said this before and what I would love is um, either just bring just bring in uh, Jessica Henwick or or like you have to reboot Iron Fist like from the ground up. Yeah. But, every, I didn't but, read but the, everyone I else did, everyone right. else the door like the gate is open. I didn't read the article fully, but supposedly there's some interview where Jessica Henwick turned a role down in Shang-Chi in hopes <laughs> that her role from Iron Fist could come back. Oh, really? Supposedly. If my my workaround with this, at this point, I think it's almost inevitable. Just bring in just bring in Luke Cage and have him do his hero for hire shtick as Power Man and Iron Fist. Yeah, that works. I don't know. Make Danny Rand like kind of he was a Hollywood he was like a Wall Street big shot and then after the blip, I don't know, Rand Industries kind of liquidated while he was snapped away so him and luke just settle into harlem doing whatever they can that would be good that's kind of perfect um so before we move on to no way home final thoughts on hawkeye and your favorite episode if you can if you can name one. Oh boy um Ooh. uh shit my my favorite episode is probably the one where kate goes and spends christmas with him I I've said it many times that I I didn't have a lot of close family moments because I had a just family didn't agree with each other on either ends of me when I was younger. So like any episode where someone realizes that person's spending holidays alone, I'm going to make sure that does not happen hits really hard with me. And the immediate thought of like she's like my family's really happy. Oh shit, Clint doesn't have anything. And it's so much a just we're throwing this together type of thing. <laughs> it was nothing special. They were just eating pizza, chilling out, watching movies, doing random stuff, talking about trick shots. And it just, that it's just simple things that work so well because they didn't try to do something they didn't need to do. That's a great reason why that show works so well. It did what it wanted to. Yeah, so, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, Josh, your final thoughts and favorite episode? If you've been feeling like the the stakes of the MCU, like how can it get bigger than this? And if you feel like every MCU project has to be this earth shattering thing where like either it's the end of the world or the end of a nation or something like that, Hawkeye is probably the breath of fresh air that you've been looking for. And it's not just because I am in love with Haley Steinfeld and Florence Pugh. Like seriously, it is a nice, refreshing breath of fresh air. It it, it feels like drinking a nice cup of cocoa on a cold winter's day. And as far as my favorite episode, I'd honestly say, in my opinion, I think that same episode that Brock was talking about, or alternatively, uh, episode three. 
Mm. Just that whole opening explaining Echo's backstory. And we'll give this to the MCU also. They finally brought in a cast member from Better Call Saul and did not waste his talents. Seriously, Tony Dalton is the best in this show. But in general, just this this whole the, that whole episode and that whole opening montage, that whole opening sequence, some of the most heartfelt and emotional stuff that the MCU has worked with. Nice. Hayden? Yeah, so um, long story short, um, I really dug this show. Um, favorite episode, I'm going to have to go with episode five, probably just because of uh, I really liked uh, the conversations between uh, Elena and Kate. And incidentally, I did actually um, today just uh, try uh, mac and cheese with uh, hot sauce. It's amazing, isn't it? It was pretty good. Pretty good, I have to say. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, Hawkeye is... It, it is definitely my favorite of the MCU shows. I think the, I think the casting was just, like, pitch perfect. Um, like, the character dynamics were something I never even knew I needed. And it gave us Rogers the Musical. Um, for my favorite episode, it's it's a toss between uh, episode three and episode five. Episode three not only has like a great introduction to Echo, but um, the car the car chase fe oh, fe yeah. featuring my tra uh, Trans Siberian Orchestra um, on the radio was just amazing and a great showcase for Clint and Kate like in their first big team up. And then episode five has um, the mac and cheese discussion with Kate and Elena. Oh, also, I just want to give a shout out to the way um, uh, Yelena says uh, Kate's name. Kate I, Bishop. Oh, Kate Bishop. You're so funny, Kate Bishop. Bishop. Stop making me like you. It's not my fault. I can't help it. <laughs> God, I love this show so much. But we have to move on now to um, the the first and probably only 2021 film to break a billion dollars. We're talking Spider-Man No Way Home, the 27th film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and the final <laughs> installment of the John Watts trilogy. Um, so, picking up right where Far From Home left off, uh, with Spider-Man's identity now revealed, our friendly neighborhood web-slinger is unmasked and no longer able to separate his normal life as Peter Parker from the high stakes of being a superhero. When Peter asks for help from Doctor Strange, the stakes become even more dangerous, forcing him to discover what it truly means to be Spider-Man. Um, so, Hayden, your thoughts on probably the biggest Spider-Man movie um, ever? Um, you know, there's not much to like really um, say like as a blurb, I don't think, except that I really dug it. I, I just really enjoyed it. 
Um, personally, not really necessarily even my favorite like um, um, superhero movie of the year, but um, I did really enjoy it and uh, would absolutely watch it again. And yeah, not much else to say besides that. Yeah, fair enough. Josh? I was ready to be cynical with this. I thought I was going to hate it. Everything just seemed to be going against it in my head. Just thinking, oh my God, how are they even going to pull this off? How can they even try and attempt to do what Spider-Verse kind of did? At least in this level, especially with my main issues with the MCU Spider-Man movies, which is, in my opinion, they're tonally inconsistent. Like, in like it really has a it tries to walk the line between being a very fun breezy high school kind of movie and a serious serious superhero thing and far from home is probably my least favorite of the trilogy even though i think it's really good but i sat down and i felt like a kid like i i i i loved it i had such a blast watching it. It's also not my favorite comic book movie of the year, but in terms of like the MCU stuff, this is absolutely my favorite of the year so far. Yeah. Movie wise, I mean. Nice. Brock? No, it is handily now my favorite Spider-Man movie. Like without question. I I was just like, this, this was the most worst kept secret movie of anything ever so i was like just how are they going to handle it was more of that of what i and i wasn't like scared that it was going to be bad but again i have to say this in case dave somehow sees this dave flegel the beautiful bastard that he is knew i was going to be out of town for the weekend of this coming out and let me know that if i got off work early which i did that i could go to the theater by myself and get a showing just so I wouldn't get spoiled. And I did. And it's thankful that I did because I had what in my life is going to be the closest thing to an out-of-body experience watching this movie. <laughs> I would not have been a good thing to be around for other people when I was watching this. Because from about an hour in, I just, my brain stopped properly pr processing time. My, it just, it was like that meme where your brain is like expanding. I was just like, how what what are we doing what stop it like i need time to process because it just it the brakes come clean off the train after the the moment happens and it just never stops it was this should not have worked anywhere near as well as it did it should have fell flat on its face and just skidded into a wall and it didn't so here's the reason why i want to stream this podcast I am representing Andrew Garfield. Yes. And if mine was not in the wash, I'd be doing the same thing. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I, I I have not been the biggest... I, I was not the biggest fan of The Amazing Spider-Man 2, despite that having the best, um, like best Spider-Man costume. And I've just always been a fan of Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone's chemistry. Mm -hmm. So the fact that he got redeemed in this movie made me very happy and on the whole the movie was just great i'm i'm still 
tossing back and forth in my head between this and Into the Spider-Verse, which one I like more. But I think both of them are... Bo- both of them are kind of you like in unique positions where they're both like big multiverse um like expansive movies on the outside but on the inside are like deeply interpersonal and probably understand the character of Peter Parker the most even though into the spider-verse was centered on miles but they still they still understand spider-man better than like anyone mm-hmm. now i kind of broke the spoiler seal already if you weren't paying attention to the lower third <laughs> so let's just let's just cut right to the chase spider-man dude that scene i'm just that i when they're in that kitchen and ned has that little <laughs> and I'm like, the weird, the best thing about this, and I really appreciated how it was shot. Like, I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but the Amazing Spider-Man films were always, when they shot night scenes, they were shot incredibly dark mm. compared to what yeah. other things were. Stylistically, they were always darker. When Ned opens that portal, it looked like I was in the MCU looking at the Amazing Spider-Man films. Like, it was dark and lit like the alley shots and stuff were in that so I'm like that was cool so I'm in the theater and like I knew this moment was coming at some point but my brain like somehow auto deleted it and then went wait Andrew Garfield is going to be in this movie <laughs> but he popped through and they, they waste no time mask comes off he's like hold on okay we need to talk what's going on I'm just like oh. <laughs> from then I regressed into a 12 year old child for the next hour and a half Yep. <laughs> it, it it was literally the most magical moment in the MCU. Just and, seeing them. And like, you know, there's the scene uh everybody talks about how um when um um that uh particular scene in Endgame when I say that my audience went ape shit. Damn. <laughs> yep. Like, oh, yeah. you would, like, I, I didn't think that um, <laughs> that it would be topped, but they managed to top that scene in terms of the audience's reaction when Andrew Garfield comes waltzing in. Yep. Oh, both. Was... When, when Andrew Garfield and when Tobey Maguire yeah. came in, Correct. both of those got a huge pop. Yeah. How many times did your guys's audience like react throughout the whole movie? Oh, many times. Like, and it made me miss cinema. I like I said, it. I saw it alone, and then I got to see it a day later in a cinema. Those pops like that, or I'm like, I need theaters again. I, I <laughs> I've seen this twice. The first time was at like a, a a private screening with like myself and you know fifty other fifty other people. Um. And then the second time was um, like in the afternoon to a nearly sold out crowd. And that was, that, that was an experience. I, I wish that my crowd was just as electric as your guys's, but they, they screamed for two moments that mattered. And it was those two moments right there. Like the whole time. Okay, 
<laughs> I, I lied. There was a third time, but I'm embarrassed to say that I was the only one that screamed. And it ties into something that I realized coming in. I should have changed this. Okay. So that way it doesn't say Scorsese says MCU cinema. It should have said, I'm a really good lawyer. When the fist comes down and you see it's a walking cane and then it tilts up and you see those familiar red shades. I tell you, I had a spasm in my seat and I let out the most high-pitched squee I could give. But the theater was dead quiet, and I felt so embarrassed. But then after that, everyone in the theater started to realize who it was. Like, I imagine they're like, what the hell is he screaming about? Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. And the best yeah. part about um, that is that, oh, sorry, Hayden, no, go ahead. Oh, no, you can go ahead. Is that Charlie Cox is a really clever bastard. In in the in the trailers, you see him get those papers dropped in the interrogation room, and everyone's like, "That's Daredevil! That's Daredevil!" And he's like, "Guys, those aren't my forearms. I'm not in that scene." <laughs> never said he wasn't in the movie. He said he was not in that scene. And everyone took him. <laughs> got a hand double. Yeah, exactly. Go ahead. The only one that knew, at least like he ever, as far as I know, the only one that he ever like kind of confirmed was actually a, a YouTube buddy of mine. I think his name is Drifty because he went to a convention and Drifty went to go see him. It was, it was either Drifty or another guy called Mithy or something. But one of them, they went to go see Charlie Cox at a, at a convention. And, uh, you know, he went in and he was just, he was just like, hey, I can't wait to see you in Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh-huh. Wink, wink. And then Charlie Cox is, I mean, yeah, it's going to be great. You never know, you know? And he gave him this look. And everyone was just, he was just like, I got it confirmed. He's going to be in there. But at the same time, with all the stuff that happened with like the trailers, because he was, I think he was especially one of those guys that would go on Twitter and just be like, if Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire appear in this trailer, I will give a hundred dollars to anyone who likes, he retweets this thing. Sure enough, they did. So all that, all that credibility just went down. So it was kind of, yeah, you know, but who's going to believe you? That's real lawyer talk right there. Yeah, I will. I'm just going to say my audience did actually also freak out when um, he, when Daredevil showed up and like everybody, everybody um, did freak out. So don't be alone other people realized it i think even before i did there are dozens of us the best part is they don't make a big deal out of it either they yeah, don't yeah. try he's, and make that scene just, extra special he's just there and yeah. something that's really cool about charlie cox is that if you go back and watch interviews from like various um press junkets or like comic conventions he always brings up that that his favorite superhero is spider-man so that's just an extra layer of cool to his appearance in No Way Home. And I hope I hope this is the last time that these two characters get to interact. I hope not. No. Um, now, speaking oh. of interactions, what, what, did, what do you guys think about um, the villains in this movie? 
Norman is on sabbatical, honey. Oh my god! Can I, oh, can I say so something? Can, can I say something? And I think I might. I thought about it for a long time, but I'm ready to say it. Go. Willem Dafoe is better here than he was in Spider-Man One. Yep. Because this time he he gets to lean into the Green Goblin. Like, holy crap! Like that—that is—that was the deciding factor for me. Like, where do I rank No Way Home? Because the early ones are so magical; they're so great. But come on, when you get to see Willem Dafoe just hamming it up, but never once treating it like a paycheck—he's—he's he's there to play. And the fact that he actually did his own stunts for the most part. Mm-hmm. Yep. Makes it all the more impressive. He said that's the only reason he agreed to do it. In his the, words, you earn to play the character. The, the scene where they're fighting in the hallways of the apartment and, and, and Holland Ace Peter is just pounding away at him and it cuts to Norman. And as he's getting hit, he's just cackling that maniacal Defoe laugh. And it has that brief cutaway before it cuts back to, to Defoe. But that brief cutaway of Holland as he's about to launch another punch and you can see on his face that he looks genuinely horrified. Oh my God. And um, incidentally, another moment where my audience lost their shit <laughs> is when he said, I'm something, something of a about scientist myself. myself. Yeah. Audience also like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. like freaked out and lost it. So there's so Amazing. many meme moments in that movie. And this is the first movie ever where when it comes out for home release, I'm more interested in the deleted scenes than the movie itself. Because Tom Tom Holland has said that we will never have any idea the sheer amount of shit that was cut from the movie that didn't serve the story, but they thought would be a cool moment. <laughs> like, uh, apparently one of the scenes that they cut was Peter's trial. Oh, really? So we- so we could have gotten even more Charlie Cox Daredevil. Interesting. Huh. But huh. The, the biggest thing that surprised me was how all the villains were treated with respect, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and even when they're not, it feels appropriate that it's the MCU characters dumping on them and not each other, like, making snide, like, oh, you're an octopus, this and that. Like, no, of course Aunt May in this universe would be the one to make a dumb joke like that. Come on, that's cute. They also don't forget the old movies happened too is something I appreciate. They weren't like, nope, slate clean. Don't for, don't mention the gap or the curly hair. Don't like, no, they're just like, no, I like this new me. And then one thing also I appreciate about Hawkeye, I appreciate about this is honesty. There mm-hmm. has not been a superhero movie in a long time where they're like, yeah, I fell into a bat of eels. I fell into a super collider. Huh. Guess you gotta watch where you fall. And all of them are like, no, they they boil it down that you basically have five versions of how you can become a superhero villain in a superhero movie. <laughs> it's just Some, something I, I I really appreciate about this movie. <laughs> um, compared to other superhero movies that that get bogged down with the too many villains complaint, is that there's a little bit of camaraderie between these villains you know like whether it's people who are in the same universe or 
those who are just meeting each other for the first time. Mm-hmm. It, it, it feels, this is probably the closest we're ever going to get to like, um, you know, in the comics when you see, <clears throat> you know, a team of villains kind of who, who belong to like the same organization, like the Masters of Evil or the Injustice Society. The Sinister Six or the Superior Six or something like that. Like I know there's, in particular, when they when all the villains are hanging out at Happy's apartment, it reminded me of the superior foes of Spider-Man. That I I believe that's what it's called by Nick Spencer, which had like some of the low-ranking, really dumpy characters like Shocker and uh, uh, I think a uh, 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 Boomerang something like that and the lady with a a, a, that's a bunny like just the really really stupid kind of lower level spider-man villains and they're just struggling trying to make ends meet and they live in the same apartment i just appreciated that because it was like ah this is this is again some of the dumb shit that i love in comics Mm -hmm. and everybody was complaining oh great you get all the great villains of of spider-man like these legendary people and you have them assemble at an apartment this is really cinematic it's like no have fun with it have fun with superhero movies god damn it can we guys agree also that nine times out of ten the too many villains is a throwaway argument for them not trying to come up with a better reason why movies aren't written well Mm -hmm. because yeah Every time a Spider-Man movie didn't work, nine times out of ten, their giant complaint was that there's too many villains. It's um, it's, u- it's usually a scapegoat for like three other different problems. It is, and then all these other movies, like Guardians of the Galaxy, had like seven villains in it. Captain America: The Winter Soldier had like six to seven villains in it that were all in the movie collectively for like ten minutes outside of Robert Redford. And then they're just, no one wants to mention, oh, they were just not written well. That's the problem. This one showed that they had no setup outside of I'm coming through a portal and I'm here and they were written well. The too many villains thing is nine times out of ten the stupidest argument ever. And I'm glad a movie finally went, no, we probably could have had more and still worked. And like, you had three Spider-Men in this movie too. There was so much going on and it doesn't fall on its ass. People get more mad at writing. <laughs> That's, That's what, what the I complaint mean. is. It, it just, shouldn't have worked. The, yeah. This movie had everything stacked against it. It felt like it would be just the the film equivalent, the, the blockbuster equivalent of tossing so many plates in the air and you're lucky if you can catch even one of them. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, it, it just it succeeds in just how all the characters feel true to their to their original movies too. Even the changes like with Electro. I'm happy that they leaned into the fact like, oh, that's right. Jamie Foxx can play a really confident asshole. Mm-hmm. I see you filmmakers. John Watts, I know you watched Baby Driver. Mm-hmm. And I love how they they even, how they preserved Otto Octavius too. He, he never feels like a caricature. He feels literally ripped straight from the Raimi movies just in how he talks, too. By the way, I have to point out how unbelievable um, Marvel's de-aging technology has gotten because I 
I actually didn't realize that that um, he was DH until until someone pointed it out to me. I didn't until you just said that. Exactly. <laughs> and getting to see, I can't. I try to explain this to people at work who are not into little things in movies that are just more cool than they realize. You got to see Otto Octavius post arms, not out of control. Like you got to see Otto be normal again. That was so fucking cool. And it's such a small thing. And, and you get to see a dude disappear off of probably however many years of being captured. It's great. And I I do actually, I thought it was a really interesting decision to like kind of have the movie be sort of about like attempting to uh, like redeem all of the, their like villains and rather than like killing and killing them. Like I, I, I didn't expect it to be like about, I guess, restorative justice in a way, but that was a really nice, pleasant surprise that um, I, I really appreciate uh, from Marvel. I thought it was a really interesting choice. I have to give credit to PJ Campbell for this, but he, he, he has uh, given the nickname to Tom Holland's trilogy, um, the, great, the Great Power uh, trilogy, because... Back when Kevin Feige said that they weren't going to do a traditional Spider-Man origin story, so, something about that felt a little off. Like, I, I get at that time, the, the thought process was, well, he's Spider-Man. He's the most popular superhero, so we don't need to see Uncle Ben dying again. But what's, what's kind of brilliant about this trilogy is that the whole thing is, is Spider-Man's origin Instead, instead of Uncle Ben uh, getting killed, it's Aunt May, and she's the one who delivers the line ripped right from the comics. By the way, yep, the correct version of how you say it. <laughs> With great power, there yeah. is also great responsibility. Yeah, oh, the, and the fact that also they just redo Spider-Man One again with him talking and the glider just hanging in the background. I had to explain this. I was like, that's how they did it. And they're wondering, what do you mean? I'm like, oh yeah, he used to get hit by it this time. I'm like, yeah, it's amazing how cool a moment can be when you don't try to make it a big moment. You just let it hang there and then let the person realize what's happening. Mm -hmm. Again, with writing, you it doesn't need to be in your face all the time. Just let the moment happen fluidly. So and it's really nice. Like on the Aunt May thing, a lot of people speculate that they think that Aunt May is just, that May's just a single parent, that Uncle Ben just up and left. And look, I, I never thought I would have to ask this. How did you guys interpret how Peter got to this point and like May's relationship with Ben in all of this? I, I took it as... We understand how Spider-Man becomes Spider-Man for crying out loud. I do not need to see Ben Parker die again. I I was kind of feeling the same the same yes. way. Hated. <laughs> yeah, I, I I fully agree. <laughs> I'm uh after two after uh, we've had we've seen that happen twice. We don't need it again. <laughs> 
I mean, on the one hand, I I get why people had a problem with um, the MCU removing Uncle Ben from the equation, in that um, it kind it kind of left their version, this version of Peter Parker, un un ungrounded, if that makes any sense, like. That, like there's some people who think like Tom Holland's portrayal is a little bit too, um, a little a little bit too jovial and not and not enough of like, you know, the darker side of Peter Parker. But this movie, I think, more than makes up for that. How how I've always interpreted it, especially with this movie in particular, people who say like that's not what Spider Man is, this and that. Spider-Man goes through peaks and valleys where he's just like, you know what? Screw it. Screw everybody and this and that. It even goes all the way back to Ditko because he... Oh, Ditko. <laughs> he loved him some Ayn Rand. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just take this in. There was an issue in the Ditko Stanley era where he was literally like, you know what? Fuck Aunt May. I shouldn't let her... Like, think about her being safe and all that, you know, that I I'll be a terrible hero if I concern myself with what she thinks, mm-hmm. if she's okay. Yeah. You you want you want a great uh a great Ditko video? Um, check out um Nerd Nerd Sync's video. I was on, I was yeah. thinking about that. That that's where I got it from. Yeah, and and freaking with the MCU Spider Man, I took it as yo, they're understanding that Peter, especially because he's younger. He's going to have those peaks and valleys even harder. Every Spider-Man story is about taking responsibility for something. Mm -hmm. Of course, Ben died. Of course, he knows with great power comes great responsibility. That's why he's fucking Spider-Man. We just don't need to see it. But of course, as his public life and his personal life are just blending together in the worst way possible. And when he's got to deal with J. Jonah Jameson, which, oh my God, I love J.K. Simmons. And in all the movies that he has been in for the webhead, I've never wanted to punch him as hard as I did in this movie. But with everything going on, of course Peter would be like, you know what, is there any way I can just... Yep. Get all of this away. It's not my problem. I have bigger fish to fry. Of course he'd be like that. And I love that this movie acknowledges one of the most unsung character flaws of Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And that is that he is a fucking idiot. Mm-hmm. And he cares too much for his own good. Like times. when he's talking with Strange right after doing the spell. And Strange is like, well, you didn't talk to the MIT people. Wait, I could have done that. Yeah, what do you, what do you, but when, when you say plead with them, would you, <laughs> also, someone broke this movie for me. <laughs> someone literally broke this entire movie for me. And I kind of hate that someone said this to me, where he's like, but it matches what you just said, Josh, is that, okay, I can't go back in time and stop Mysterio from saying that and we just talked about how we have a spell that can make people forget things peter then doesn't subsequently ask oh hey can you make people forget that mysterio said that uh, because <laughs> and i love that i love that because of course peter 
as much as he is all about responsibility, there are points where he is selfish. And there are points where, again, because of all the stress of everything, he doesn't think in his right mind. Mm -hmm. Peter has like this constant thing in the comics all the time where it's like, I want to do things, but at the same time, I can't because of shit going on. Yeah. I'm just happy that he didn't he didn't have to give away his relationship with Michelle. They fixed the one of the worst Spider-Man plot lines ever. If you would have told me when this movie came out, it's like, hey guys, we're gonna adopt one more day. Hold on, wait, wait, wait. Hold, hold, hold on, <laughs> hold on. Uh, Gwen, if you're listening to this, if at any point you listen to this later on down the road. I want you to note the timestamp of this and I want you to send this to your girlfriend because Gwen's girlfriend, Jen fucking hates one more day and hates how no way home was going to adapt to this. Cal, can we, for those that don't know, for those that don't know one more day, Marvel hates normalizing characters. For a, for a degree, DC does as well. Because they, do, they don't like... How do I want to say this? That they don't want you reading about a character that's too similar to what you are. Because then it's not special in a way, is I guess a good way of doing it. And then, again, we've kind of alluded to this. Spider-Man is Marvel's favorite punching bag. Mm-hmm. If the kid's happy, they don't think they're making money. So after a while, they have to throw him to the ground and kick him in the dick a couple of times. So, he was with... MJ happily married. I cannot remember if this was based on Ultimates or not, or exactly what it was after Civil War. After Civil War, when he gets his identity revealed in some crossfire with the Goblin, Aunt May dies, and then because comics hating marriages, he goes down to basically what, in my opinion, is the MCU MCU's devil or Marvel's devil, Mephisto, and goes so um. What do I got to do, boss? He goes, uh, you know that happy marriage, that smoking hot fox that you got there? Out the door. <laughs> and then he gets Aunt May back. And I'm going to be, I do not say this in a mean way. But that is stupid for two reasons. <laughs> two incredibly stupid reasons. <laughs> One, you're giving up a marriage to save a relative. Two, I love Aunt May as much as everybody else. But in comics, she is typically shown to be about 95. Mm. So he's giving away his marriage to Mary Jane, something will make him happy for the rest of his life, to get back his Aunt May, who within two years could die of natural causes. It was a very stupid story. <laughs> I think of Danny DeVito in that one episode of Sunny in Philadelphia where Frank just goes off the handle, just replacing whoever it was that died with Aunt May. Because, look, let Peter be happy. MJ's amazing for him. Aunt May, pull up fucking Danny DeVito with a beer. Flush that turd down the <laughs> Oh, God. Which, on, on all of that, can we appreciate the balls that they actually killed Aunt May? Yeah, I'll, I'll exactly admit. do it subtly. <laughs> I'll, I'll admit I didn't see it coming. 
Mm-hmm. I, I didn't either. No. Nope. I was like, no, they can't kill Marissa Tomei. No, Marissa Tomei, who's too young to be Aunt May because she's 50. And like I said, just the fact that the movie knows when to like take itself seriously when Norman is is just shit talking everybody is just like you get this from her. That's the curse, the sentiment. And then you you cut to Marissa Tomei who picks up something mm-hmm. just to try and fight. She doesn't try and cut with a quip. Just picks up something, even though she knows I can't beat this guy. Mm-hmm. But still, I'm going to protect my fucking baby. Yep. Can you also comment on how well the spider sense is portrayed in this movie? That, yes. That, that <laughs> zolly that happens and the way the sound design goes off, goes out for that little bit, like, like that ringing. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's that is awesome. By the way, oh. I, have to, I have to point out, speaking of sound, um, the, the score by Michael Giacchino this time might be probably one of my favorites at least at the very least of the trilogy and one thing i really love is um like the actual track titles are are great if if you're someone who love who loves a good pun um then boy you're gonna love some of these um like gone in a flash which i i think is um Describing the scene where Peter talks to Flash Thompson. Nice. Um, all spell breaks loose, which I assume nice. is when nice. um, when Peter and Doctor Strange mess up the spell. Uh, let's see. I'm looking right now in Strange Bedfellows. <laughs> That's a good one. Also, Goblin, his inner demons. <laughs> I mean, the score is good. It's no, oh. it, it's no Chad Kroeger and Josie Scott, but I mean, it's up there for Spider-Man. <laughs> and I'm looking, at, and I'm looking at one of the others right now, and one of them is called Octo Gone. Yep, <laughs> that's <laughs> genuinely fucking great. And, and apparently, apparently, this is something that Giacchino does like on all of his scores. Oh yeah, because he's 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 a dork. He's a guy who doesn't take himself ser- too seriously. The 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 soundtrack for Jojo Rabbit is still one of his all time greats, and his pun game is still great in that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I forget what some of them were. Oh my god! Like one of them's literally called "The Eye of the Tiger." Nice, and that from the scene where you know Elsa's looking at. The wall and calling back to Rosie talking about you gotta look a tiger in the eye. I see you, Mike. And okay, the, now I I I want to I want to I want to backpedal to something that Brock mentioned just about the little things, and it barely hit me today. You know when 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 the Spider Men are there and they're bantering and everything like that. And, and, and Andrew Garfield, which I love that the, that Marvel officially labeled these two Spider-Men as Toby being the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man and Andrew being the amazing Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And I love how Garfield is saying like, I'm, I'm lame, man. I, I just bought like a guy in a rhinoceros suit like in a rhinoceros robot and pete says no 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 are you hey hey 
you are amazing. And it just, I was so caught with like, oh my God, they actually said that. And then I was thinking they said that for the meme, but today it barely hit me. I don't know why. Of all things, I was watching The Matrix Reloaded. And I don't know why, but suddenly my lizard brain upon watching the movie took me back like, oh yeah, Bill Pope, he, he did these movies. Bill Pope did Spider-Man, Tobey Maguire, Tobey Maguire and MJ. Oh my God, he repeated the words that MJ said to, to him in the rain in Spider-Man 1 to Andrew Garfield. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. That- yeah. That's a deep cut. Yeah, and like when he's talk, when Otto talks to him, he's like, "How you been, dear boy?" The trying to do better. He says that to Otto in two. I didn't realize that until I rewatched it afterwards. I'm like, you didn't have to. And also, Tobey Maguire's Spider Man only knows how to wave in one way. <laughs> I, I just walked through the portal here, and it's, and... it's, it's so <laughs> great to see like how different the Spider-Men are in just physique. I love that Toby, like he's stiffer, but at the same time, he's more approachable in that way. And Andrew Garfield is just a, a hot mess as well. Mm-hmm. He's interacting with everything. Yeah, I saw someone say that's what happens when you get a theater kid to play Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> and then you got for- Tom Holland and Tom Holland is just kind of, what is Tom Holland's body type? Um, a, <laughs> the, 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 weird, the weird part is Tom Holland is a six foot one jock stuck in a five foot five kid's body. <laughs> and that, that, that's called a dancer. Yeah, that is true. He's a dancing parkour kid. So he's got a good build for his size. Uh, uh, one question I want to ask. That we could get a topic going here. It's a three-part question. One, what is the moment you were hoping was going to happen? What was your biggest pop? And then one was one that didn't happen that you thought was going to happen. Mine, my uh during endgame, my one big thing, I was like, for the love of God, if we make it through this movie and I don't get to see Stephen Peggy dancing, I'm gonna lose my shit. And we finally got it at the end of the movie. One, it was Andrew Garfield catching MJ. And when he gets hit with I wanted. When he gets hit with that glider and it's within seconds, it cuts to Andrew's face. I I I I lost it. And you and the emotion on Andrew where you're like you can't even get to see him. It has a similar situation where there's debris in the way. And instead of web zipping through and then trying to catch her up, you see him clear all the degree and then zip down to her as fast as he can so she doesn't hit the ground. And then him crying and she doesn't understand why he's so upset. Just like 10 seconds. That scene took 10 seconds and it redeemed an entire movie. <laughs> and then one that got the biggest pop for me. And it's probably in the top three best 20 seconds in a comic book movie ever when they finally get their shit together and they figure out the plan. And then all three of them are like, we're in a fucking Spider-Man movie with two other Spider-Men. And this is the coolest thing I'm ever going to do. They jump off that scaffolding and all three of them scream as they're swinging. And then Tom Holland, Spider-Man turns around, shoots both of their wrists, whips them around for a higher arc 
They go up in the moonlight, and all three of them land in a three-point stance on the head of the Statue of Liberty. Might be the most Spider-Man thing to ever have Spider-Man in a Spider-Man film. That that was good. The third, and I guarantee you, is in a deleted scene because it legit blew my mind that it wasn't in the movie. They're sitting in the lab. I fully expected at some point there was going to be a TV. And then Toby was going to be working on the cure. And he was just going to look. And he was going to see that J. Jonah looks identical to his. And he was going to go, huh, I guess some things don't change. And then just keep going. Because they literally have his J. Jonah there. <laughs> I was so shocked that he didn't make a comment about that. But that's just me. And also that Andrew Garfield didn't make some comment when the goblin finally comes in and he sees him for the first time where he's like, great, another douchebag on a glider. <laughs> They're like, huh, yours isn't green. Like literally green. Like literally green. <laughs> okay, so my my moment that I really wanted to see and it was it, like that I got and it was something that I feel really horrible for wanting. But I really wanted to see Doctor Strange pissed off. Because I'll admit, like, going into it, I'm like, oh, yeah, Peter's totally going to fuck stuff up. Like, before we saw the trailer, then watching the trailer, it's like, oh, Strange was complicit. Okay. But now that everything's screwed up, it was the second trailer that kind of irked me a little bit with Strange where, you know, he's just like, Scooby-Doo this crap. And I was thinking, there's no way Strange would just take the the sass from Zendaya and he wouldn't have been, like, really irritated after everything's going on because this is literal fab fabric of reality breaking. So I really appreciated when Ned and, and Michelle are at the, the Sanctorum and Doctor Strange is just ice cold the whole time. I was just like, oh, thank God. Oh, thank God. I wanted Doctor Strange to feel out of his element with all of this and to take it out on these little fuckers. <laughs> I also wanted to see Peter get get crushed like emotionally. Like I wanted him to kind of break up with MJ at the end of all this. Because I figured there's nowhere else he's going to go mm -hmm. <clears throat> with all of this. How do you even continue this after dealing with all that? And I love that you get little hints of Michelle kind of cracking under the pressure of the relationship. Hmm. Like, okay, they acknowledge, yeah, this isn't easy, which all the best Spider-Man relationships acknowledge that. So seeing him at the end at the coffee shop and seeing Ned just fully happy carrying on his own way that gutted me but then when he puts away the note i was like oh man that spider-man hell yeah mm -hmm. the pop that i had other than matt murdoch's triumphant return it was the one shot where you know they're just like hey we need to talk with we got some people that you, you need to you need to talk to and then he looks up and they're like, no, 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 don't, it's, it's okay. And then it, the camera tilts up and it, it, it very much is inspired from that shot in Spider-Verse 
where mm-hmm. all the spider people are there and you just see toby mcguire and you can tell it's toby mcguire and yeah. andrew garfield just in deep silhouette mm-hmm. and uh the one that i really wanted to have happen but didn't happen correct me if i'm wrong but i don't think we got a single moment where toby mcguire and willem dafoe shared a scene together like talking to each other uh no i don't think any lines are actually set at each other he got stabbed by him and that's about it that's about it but i'm just thinking oh my god you'd think that he in particular would have such a mixed reaction seeing norman again like ah that that's the only time i feel there's a wasted opportunity uh hey you want to go next yeah, so um, the thing that I um, I think I did uh, really want to see and ultimately got was um, when uh, Willem Dafoe uh, lost uh, the mask. Yeah. And because I always like think about uh, the Weird Al song, um, Ode to a Superhero, which is uh, a And there's the line, he wears that dumb Power Rangers mask, and he's, but he's scarier without it on. And it's just, yeah, true. I Accurate. I love Absolutely. me some Willem Dafoe, but if I ran into him in a dark alley, I would go running right the other way. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad uh, that they got rid of that weird mask. Um, um, big positive reaction, I think. Just um, that pop, I I think it was just... Um, I don't know if I have one moment. I think it's just uh, everything that they kind of just happened in a like i can't really choose narrow it down to just one like there's obviously the scene with andrew garfield and toby mcguire entering but yeah um i think it let's just um your mileage may vary it's one of those just keep that in mind and the thing that i really wanted to see and i knew i was never going to get because i i have bad ideas for things i really wanted to see uh reeve carney um, show up in the movie um, as a as a the uh, musical version of Spider Man. <laughs> oh, I really and I know I would have been the only person in that theater applauding, but I wanted it so bad. <laughs> I wanted Reeve Carney to show up, and ha- and everybody else in my theater had would have no idea what was going on except for me. <laughs> nice. Nice. All right. So, um, the moment that I wanted to see and my pop are kind of the same thing. It's it, it's Andrew Garfield actually pulling off the save of MJ. It they they kind of. I I don't want to say they hinted at it in the in that first trailer where you see MJ falling. Mm-hmm. But because that was just around the time that people were speculating that, hey, maybe uh, the other two Spider-Men are in this one, I kind of figured that that was going to be the moment. Um, so my, my other pop was Toby um, or Peter 2 stopping Holland, um, like stopping the glider, mm-hmm. which is like the redemption moment 
for um for this character oh, yeah. as like killing green goblin was like the one thing that really ate at him so i was i was incredibly happy to see um well everyone getting re- redeemed including peter actually um real quick can i amend my pop yeah okay. go for it i have a new one and it's and it's not a traditional one either so this is uh technically an after the fact pop Okay. Um, and I'm just going to say something here that will uh, have a bunch of people uh, probably pointing uh, torches and pitchforks at me. I actually really like The Amazing Spider-Man 2. I actually really like it. And I am like kind of relieved that there is a bit of a resurgence of people admitting that they also enjoy it. And I and like there is that sense of vindication. And I finally feel like I can admit to liking that movie without feeling any sense of shame or, or um, guilt. You know that what? Is- I'll I'll admit. I think I think that movie is due for a rewatch, especially after after a loving movies like Batman v Superman, um, and the Venom movies, mm-hmm. which. <clears throat> Um, which I have to admit, my um, the moment I wanted to see but never actually got was Tom Hardy meeting Tom Holland. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll 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 we'll, we'll talk about the post credit scenes in a minute, but man, <laughs> Kevin Feige is either like the like the biggest troll or the biggest cock blocker for. Um, for teasing that Venom would be in the MCU, and then he's gone as soon as he as he enters. I thought that and was I just wanna, hilarious. I want to <laughs> say something though, and no, I don't know if anybody will believe me. I totally predicted that was how it was. It was going to be somewhat like that <laughs> after I saw um the post credit scene of Let There Be Carnage. Nice. Hmm. I, I like jokingly like said like okay, but it would be really funny if it was just he showed up like in uh, New York and's like, what did I miss? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that that end credit scene and how this movie ends is so unbelievably smart for what they could do in the future and do whatever they want. It's it's ridiculous. I th- I think what what saves that scene. Um, like you're you're right. It is it is hilarious, and Tom Hardy being Tom Hardy, like I will never get enough of that. But what what makes what makes that scene so brilliant is the fact that there's a little piece of the symbiote left behind, mm-hmm. so they can now so, have two different versions. Yeah. So technically, um, Kevin Feige didn't lie. <laughs> Um, Venom will be in the MCU. It just won't be Hardy. Yep. Oh, man. It's, it's just, so and, I, and there's this big green guy that he gets, he just gets angry. Yeah, his name's Hulk. And you thought Lethal Protector was a shit name. <laughs> I, I will never get over when, when, when he gets up from the bar. He's just like, Eddie, we're drunk. We're leaving. And then and then Tom Hardy just goes like, <laughs> <laughs> "We are going skinny dipping. We are not going skinny dipping." Now, if we're if we're talking 
the post credit stuff, can I just say that I got the biggest smile on my face seeing that teaser for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness? Oh my God. I, I tell you, it, it feels so great, especially for Raimi, essentially not having directed a film since 2013. Wow, it's really been that long. Imagine Oz the Great and Powerful being your last big oh, contribution no. to the world of cinema. And I say that as someone that I never even watched it, but I always thought it looked neat. But imagine going out on that. I will say that for Oz the Great and Powerful, the 3D was really freaking good. There you go. I bet. It was that. No, the 3D was incredible and like one of the high, the few like things that I think is like I can say like just from how he frames the shots with the cinematographer of Logan I I was just I was sitting in the seat and I was just like oh this is like seeing a renaissance painter come back to his craft it's like he literally took the end credit scene and was just like okay let me show these modern comic book filmmakers how it's done. And it just, everything felt so tight and in control. It looks spectacular. And the moment that I knew, because I was still worrying, like, is Raimi going to be restricted? Because it's the MCU. The second the camera tilts up and you see it's evil strange, and Benedict Cumberbatch just has that look on his face with the wind only blowing on his hair. Mm -hmm. and he's just like, things just got out of hand. I was just thinking, no, Sam's doing it. He's going there. And also, can we talk about how um, in uh, Spider-Man 2, uh, Doctor Strange gets a name drop? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Go ahead, Take and, it. Like, and it's full circle. Full circle yet again. <laughs> The thing that made me happy with that is not a lot of people know it by name, but like one of the just what like with the MCU started becoming a thing, I'm like, there's there's gonna get to a point where I'm satisfied where I think they're okay with doing basically just anything. And that to me was always Shumagorath showing up in something. And then when that trailer happens and you see him buzzsaw glyph that bus in half and it zooms up. To a story tall squid, and I'm like, that's Schumann. Everyone else in the theater is like, who? <laughs> don't don't worry about it. That he's gonna be awesome. <laughs> They're like Starro. It's like no, no. And <laughs> and for those and for those who liked um, the Doctor Strange episode of What If, they're they're getting all the validation from that trailer. I got that validation. Hell yeah. <laughs> Though I find it an even funnier troll on Kevin Feige and everybody just to think, oh, you want to understand how, like, what this character is? You better go and watch episode three of the animated cartoon on Disney Plus. Four. Or, yeah. Episode four of the animated cartoon on Disney Plus. You'll understand why there's an evil Doctor Strange there. That was one thing about what ifs I was going to mention when you mentioned those earlier about it being little tastes of stuff. I kind of went to Mike. I'm like, that is a hundred percent a fucking testing bed. Cause all of a sudden they're like, what ones did really good? Oh, everyone really liked that Marvel zombies. 
boom, there's an animated Marvel Zombies coming out. What if like, they're always like, hey guys, maybe you should think about liking an evil Doctor Strange. What's fucking happening in multiverse? Fe Feige is just so good at this stuff. Planet planting seeds where we don't even where we can't even uh where we can't even see them God, he... uh, it, it is um, a very good time to be a comic book movie fan just it's on one note can i do a quick rant about something that has yeah. been oh do it. Me? absolutely before this movie came out all of the speculation from everybody just trying to seem like they were outsmarting the movie. Mm. Yeah. And it got so old real quick to the point where I'm just like, I don't even care if if um, Garfield or McGuire or anybody is in it. I don't care. It's just a problem that I've gotten really tired of. The audience just trying to outsmart whatever is about to come out and inherently kind of just almost ruining the surprise for everybody else. Yeah. And it's just, it just drives me crazy. And I, I really wish it would stop. And I know it won't because that's just kind of where we are now with Twitter and all that. But uh, if I didn't, if I weren't, didn't, if I said I wasn't, I, it just drove, it's just been a real, issue for me and i just needed to kind of get that off my chest no, that, that's fine. perfectly that's perfectly valid seriously leakers were the fucking worst with this mm -hmm. you know, i view i view speculation speculators i view speculation the same way i view alcohol um enjoy it responsibly mm-hmm this is what we've turned into is what I kind of like to call the we got this covered era of things yeah. to uh. where, um, hey, guys, I got it confirmed to me the other day. I'm like, OK, cool. We're going to sit down and define that word. Where did you get this confirmed? <laughs> oh, we got this covered. Cool. So where in the article did they say they had a personal conversation with Kevin Feige? Oh, but they didn't say that. Oh, so then they talked to someone at Marvel. No, they didn't say that. Like, oh, so what What did it say? I, I don't know. I didn't open the article. I, I heard from a tweet that responded to Grace Randolph. <laughs> By the way, I finally blocked her like a couple um, months ago because I just I just had enough. No, no one confirms anything. If it gets said, it's absolute truth. It's the worst now. I fucking hate that the internet exists. I agree with you completely, Hayden. It's one of the worst things about life, period, now. If something is said, it is confirmed, and then it goes, boom, and there go. I'm like, hey. And I get to be that guy all the time where it goes, no, that's not happening. Well, how do you know? I'm like, because the person that makes the thing said no. And there's a literal like, thing. Like... In fact, there, there's a funny thing about that. Just kind of full circle. Literally, as Hawkeye was wrapping up, there were people that were tweeting after an interview was given with Vincent D'Onofrio where he's like, yeah, I played it like how I played uh, Fisk on, on Daredevil. Oh, and so God. I, like, I don't like the fact that... I, I, don't, I don't buy it just because, you know, again, he seemed very underpowered and this and that. And Vincent D'Onofrio himself still responded to that one person and said, no, I, like I said, 
I played it how I did in that time. I did it here. I just tried to acclimate myself with the MCU, but by all intents and purposes, from what I discussed, that was me back then, now. Yep. And that person still, with his big brass cojones, just <laughs> still responded to Vincent D'Onofrio and said, okay, but how do you know that? I... <laughs> One of the other worst examples of that, and it's it's a slightly off topic, there is one person at work that I think goes out of his way now to see how many times that I can show that he doesn't understand things. And J Josh will understand this more. Hey, now, I don't know if you're a gamer or not. When The Last of Us 2 got delayed. Oh, no. There was an article from Neil Druckmann, from the head of PlayStation exclusives, Herman Hilst, and also one from PlayStation themselves on three separate accounts that said, Last of Us is delayed indefinitely. All three of them, official posts from the people that make it, the voice actors, the person ahead of the studio, and the company that makes the product. He comes up to me, he's like, no, it didn't. I'm like, what do you mean? I've got proof it didn't. I'm like, these seven sources that make the game say it didn't. And he shows me his phone, and he typed in, uh, oh, he typed in Last of Us 2 release date. And the Google autocomplete said the original release date. Like, that's a fucking aggregated search, you idiot. No dud's gonna say that because it doesn't have another answer to give you. I know too many people that are like that in my life. <laughs> like, why do you... I'm, I'm not trying to... Like, if you get... All of us do the same thing. We're not trying to upset people. We're trying to make it so that you are not retroactively disappointed when the thing you think got confirmed doesn't happen. And also, um, speaking of Grace Randolph, the time where she argued um, with um, Kathy, Kathy Yan about her own movie. <laughs> Kathy Yan, James Gunn. Yeah. Who Every the hell else? James Wan. Do you, do you remember L, 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 uh, uh, Mbe? What's his first name? Uh, used to be Latino Review. What's his name? Oh, um, um, Umberto. Umberto, uh, yeah, Mbe. One of my favorite ones with that was he's like, Hey guys, I got the cast listing for uh for um someone in Guardians 2. I might just share it later. And then James Gunn commented underneath and said, That's cool, because I haven't casted them yet. Would you mind letting me know? I, I remember that. Silence oh, <laughs> followed it. Like called out. Oh, it made me so happy. I I love when James Gunn does that on social media. Like he'll he'll just squash any any rumor out there <laughs> i i, I have the, i, I, I have a, I, should team up actually no that's not the truth <laughs> <laughs> I, I have i have a small little 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 rant and i i do mean it when i say small i know my rants can get pretty long-winded it's been a while since i've i, I vented on on the podcast we all had a lot of fun watching this movie on the big screen, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Would you shame people for for having a good time at the movies? Absolutely. Oh, Josh, make my day go fucking nuts right now because I know Look, exactly what you're going to say. I'm, I'm going to oh, say wait, I know what you're, I know what you're going to do. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to say this because 
this isn't my favorite movie of the year, but it has one of my favorite film experiences in general, just watching it at the theater. There's something really amazing going to the movie theater. Because I'm going to agree, the movie theater going experience can blow. Sometimes you go to a horror movie and you have those young parents that bring their 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 babies that are still fresh from the hospital. And of course, they have a breakdown seeing Joe Blow slasher villain kill some stupid teen and they're freaking out and you're thinking, God, why didn't you just pay some poor high schooler or middle schooler to watch your spawn so I can enjoy my popcorn and watch this fucking movie. Or you go to a, a comic book movie and you have that one person that hasn't even read the stuff, but you know, they go on Wikipedia, they go to the Marvelpedia or they watch it, uh, watch Mojo and they know facts and they're just like, Oh my God, that's the thing. And they commentate throughout the whole goddamn movie. Or you will go to a movie just in general and you'll have that one vocal audience member that is just complaining the whole time or they're snoring or maybe they're a friend of yours and they're talking in your ear like, why don't you drag us to this? It is frustrating and I completely understand it. But, and this is a major but... The reason why I personally love the movie theater experience, even though I will acknowledge, in general, I don't think many people should be going to the movies right now because Pandemic Central, Omicron is hitting, and I'm not talking about David Cage. But when you go to a movie and you have that perfect audience energy where everybody is dialed into the story, where the energy is electric. You have laughs when it's appropriate. You have gasps when it's appropriate. You have the occasional cheer every once in a while. I am telling you, there is no more magical feeling than just being in sync with normal people and appreciating when other people have come together to create something for your viewing pleasure and you all collectively love it. It is like when you go to a concert and after the band finishes a song, everybody cheers. Or when they get to an iconic riff that everybody knows, everybody knows and they're just like, yeah, because the energy is amazing. Now, I understand also that can be very frustrating if you go to a movie and you're watching it for the first time. Maybe you may not vibe with everybody in particular. But to shame audiences for getting worked up with this level of energy, with this level of enthusiasm, especially after, let's be honest, at this point, three straight years of COVID affecting us, and with most everything about the film industry feeling incredibly bleak, especially considering the monopoly that Disney has, where No Way Home has basically taken over most of the megaplexes, mm -hmm. taking up most of theater screenings and everything, pushing out other smaller movies that should get at least a little bit of an audience, but again, understandably, because COVID. To try and shame people for having that last little vest vestige of joy... It just makes me very, very sad 
about that. Complain about the practices. Complain about the politics of, you know, film distribution and everything. Complain about the system. But when it comes to people's entertainment, let people enjoy just having that time to go out and escape, to get sucked up for those measly two and a half hours to three hours, because that's the beauty of film, to just enjoy something, to have an experience. I got two comments on that, because I agree with you 100%. One, quite recently, CM Punk returned to wrestling. He's an AEW. He was a person that people wanted to wrestle for nearly a decade. There was a guy that was borderline inconsolable in the crowd. He was crying as if he just saw the birth of his child because he missed and loved wrestling so much. This dude got caught on national television crying his eyes out in joy that CM Punk was back. And he got lambasted as some loser that was enjoying this much. And everyone in AEW finally got a hold of the guy and brought him in. I believe it was CM Punk himself that said this. You should not rip on that guy. If anything, the world should be ripping you assholes apart that you cannot be as passionate and as into something as something as that guy was seeing his favorite wrestler come back. If you are ripping on him for passion, I don't want to hear your comments. But two is something where if you are going to hate on someone for how passionate they are about something, look in your own lives. Because I had a conversation about Spider-Man itself when I went with a relative of mine, when I came back, that cannot understand how I get so excited in movie theaters and stuff like this. Because he saw it and he just complained that people are popping off like this and screaming and all of this. And there, he's asked me, he's like, how do you get so excited about this? This makes no sense. No one should get that excited about something that tiny. And I said, like, um, Andrew catching when? Like, it's a great buildup from this. He's like, that's still nothing to get that excited about. I'm like, okay, cool. I am now almost 31 years of age. I, with this person, have watched close to 25 years of NFL football. And this person gets 5,000 times more excited seeing a touchdown. You see that same thing maybe 40 times, the same thing in the same year. And I went, where's your emotional 12-year buildup for that moment? You're getting that excited over something that small and you're giving me crap over that? <laughs> that passion is so beautiful. Like One last thing and then I'll kick it over to, to Hayden. I Yeah, I just have something to say in response, actually, because I do agree. I, I'm just going to like throw in like one extra like um, bit of information that like I think it's just an interesting discussion about this. Uh, you can go first, though. Like having just finished wrapping a short film, okay. I have so much appreciation for the filmmaking process and being able to share what I've got to the world, being able to see people's reactions. And then also with that, I just think about that energy, and if you catch anybody candid, it'll be, of course it'll be embarrassing, because for some reason people really like to rip on genuine emotion. Mm -hmm. I have seen West Side Story in theaters twice, the new one. It is my new favorite film of all time. I'll save that for when we talk about musicals later on. And the second time, I cried unconsolably, but not unconsolably, but there were three points that I just, I started crying. And I had this swell 
in my gut and in my heart, like I literally fell in love with a movie. That hasn't happened to me since Django Unchained. And I'm thinking about the theater that I saw it with the second time. Very diverse group of people. You had your old folks because, of course, it's Spielberg. And, of course, it's a musical. So the old folks will be dragged to it as well as teenagers on dates and all that. Because it's like, yo, musicals, babe, let's go. I'm guilty of it, too, with Crystal. There you go. She's, I'm just lucky that she loves it, too. Whole movie. Again, very gratifying electric energy. I never thought I'd say spoilers for this, but when a character in particular dies at the start of the third act or at the end of the second act, I actually heard audible gasps from the whole theater. I heard people laughing when there were conversations being had in Spanish. I heard some people singing along to America. And everybody left and there was this genuine swell of love. That's what I mean. Mm -hmm. I would never shame anybody for liking anything passionately. Even if you don't think that the MCU movies are prestige art or anything, I think either way, the theatrical experience can be magical. So, um, very well put. Um, and I completely agree. Um, the thing I do actually want to uh, just bring up in relation to this conversation, because I do know about the article and all of the stuff, I do want to um, bring up that um, for the most part, the people who were doing this are, um, to my knowledge, most of them are um, British. And I know like for that over in the UK and it's not particularly common to like clap or be vocal in a movie theater. Like, and I think that's just like an interesting, like just cultural differences in general, I think are just really fascinating. And I think like, it's just kind of a thing where in a way, I think both of uh, both people from the UK and the U S et cetera, wherever they might be, just need to understand it is there are so many cultural differences that we should be cognizant of when we are discussing this and and they and like i just noticed like everybody speaking up they tended to be british and i just know from my experience being there and like from what um i've been told by a lot of british audiences they just don't do that and like i guess like it's just they don't quite understand that that's just how we are, I guess. And yeah, that's basically it. I, that's a great comment on that. From yeah. From Hotland himself. He was on Mean Tweets with Jimmy Kimmel. <laughs> and the mean tweet was, Tom Holland that looks like one of those whiteies that claps when the plane lands. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> um, only, thing, only thing I have to add to the, to the theater comments is Pretty, pretty much my, like, a lot of my favorite um, theatrical experiences have been um, the private screenings I've attended for um, for this movie and Infinity War and Endgame. And when I got to see Interstellar in IMAX, that was 
that was like one of the coolest experiences I've had in a while. Um, I don't. I would never shame someone for for being so passionate about whether it's like movies or or music or or wrestling or or anything. And ultimately, that's what this website is about. It's about expressing your passion for anything, really. Don't be scared to do it either. If you have, if you genuinely want to do like, have the heart and the drive to want to talk about things that you love, man, it took me almost thirty years of my life to get to go through Gurn with someone and talk about how much I love that show. But it was one of the most lethargic or uh, cathartic experiences of my entire life. Just go do it. YouTube is easily accessible. You will find other people that want to talk with you about this stuff. And it's not hard. It's it's a great experience. There's, it may not be in your hometown. It might not be two towns over. There are other people that want to talk with you about this stuff and have the same passion as you. It just you got to do a little bit of looking, and sometimes it's not that far. I got lumped into this by accident <laughs> because of Last of Us Part Two, and then it just found a great swath of people that are smart and passionate, just great to talk about all this stuff with. And it's never ever let someone say that your passion's stupid. Mm -hmm. Good Lord, never. I've always talked about, like, there's a great quote from James Willems. You could have a passion about talking about how much you would like to see cats read books. You might not find people right away, but there are some people there that will have the same exact thing as you and would love to speak with you. Yeah, so I, I guess this is a great this is a great place to kind of wrap things up um overall overall thoughts on um on no way home and i guess by extension the mcu at large in 2021 brock i'll, I'll go with you first um so as far as no way home goes i loved it but i will say guys from now on if you want to make a multiverse movie you don't have to go out of your way to have two film franchises fail first just to have set up for this one you could just make this one <laughs> no that was one thing it felt like they failed those on purpose for this movie but no it just it that is the no way home is the reason why i go to comic book movies that that is a definition just joy on film it was very good and hawkeye is another example of why i'm really glad they're okay with doing smaller stuff in the mcu still because the world doesn't have to be on the line at all times. And exactly. Just, yeah, I'm glad we can get a little bit of everything. Yeah. Josh? So No Way Home, yeah, I, I loved it. My third favorite Spider-Man movie in general, right behind Spider-Man 2 and Into the Spider-Verse at number one. It's still there for me, but for all of this, this is my favorite MCU Spider-Man movie, and the one thing I'm loving about Phase Four, the MCU going forward, I'm loving that they're 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 taking bigger risks with how they approach stories now. Who would have thought we would get to see a guy kung fu a dragon this year, or Jack Kirby's gods brought to the big screen? Mm -hmm. I love the fact that Marvel is taking a step back from these big events while still treating them as 
micro events in their own way and just seeming to just just see what works in that new way it it it, rem- it makes me feel nostalgic in that sense for like the the superhero movies of the 2000s even though a lot of them weren't good they still tried a lot of new things and i feel like marvel's now at that point where they've got enough money where they can piggyback on anything and it makes me excited to see how they do other things of all things like ant-man 3 or blade or especially She-Hulk and Moon Knight. Tatiana Maslany Justice. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Main reason I'm looking forward to She-Hulk. It's going to be great. Uh, Hayden, your final thoughts on No Way Home and the MCU at large? Um, no Way Home is a damn good movie. It's a damn good Spider-Man movie. I had a great time seeing it. And uh, MCU at large, I just want to acknowledge this is like the most MCU we have gotten in a single calendar year. Four movies, yeah. five shows. Like, and a lot of that is because they were delayed. But like, I do want to just acknowledge that. And good Lord, I cannot believe that it has been like, like WandaVision was like almost a year ago. Like, I cannot even fathom that. That came out like back in 2007 or whatever. Like what <laughs> time? <laughs> what is time? I don't know. Yep. But and like I would be, I wouldn't like. I'm gonna be honest. Like it can be a little overwhelming to some, and I I just really attribute that to the COVID delaying like half of these and mm-hmm. and um, but. You know, for what it's worth, I really want to see what's gonna, where it's gonna go from here. I have not disliked a single thing that they have put out this year. I've, to some capacity, I've enjoyed every single movie and show. Call me a shill all you want, but you know, I don't care. I enjoyed all of it to some extent. Um, I just really, I'm curious to see where it goes from here, and that's like all I can say. It's exciting. It's the the. They have such a huge world, and like I'm really just excited to see them play in the sandbox even further. Yeah, I kind I kind of have to agree with that. Um, so, no, no way home. I've said before is like basically tied for first with Into the Spider Verse. Um, I I love the ambition of this movie. I love how they actually managed to tie in the previous incarnations. And made this an event as big as Endgame. But most importantly, I love that this set, this sets up a new status quo for P- for Tom Holland's Peter Parker. And I am super excited to see where they go from here. Mm-hmm. Now, as for Phase 4, I've, I've always kind of described this as um, Phase 1, but on a macro level. Now, now that Endgame is like in the rear, in their rearview mirror, um, they can they can do whatever they want. They're pretty much back to back to square one. Although this time, th- this time, there are there are no limits. They can, and anything anything is possible. You can have your kung fu movie. You can ha- you could do a little espionage thriller. Um, 
you can explore the wonderful world of TV on literally your first uh, television series. Um, and Phase 4, honestly, we haven't even scratched the surface because 2022 and 2023 have a lot of cool stuff um, coming down the pike. Probably the one I'm most anticipating right now. Um, the series is Moon Knight, and the movie is Multiverse of Madness. I love looking at this number every time I get to. <laughs> um, Josh mentioned it earlier, and you mentioned it, Mike, now that we have a lot of cool stuff coming and they have no limits. I say this whenever I can on our channel, on my channel that I do a lot of stuff with Mike with, which I've done so recently with Josh and Hayden. If you ever want to do stuff, gladly have you. We talk about how the sky is the limit and they have more money than they know what to do with. If you have a basic subscription to Disney Plus, let's just say everyone has a basic subscription to Disney Plus. Remember how we thought it was really cool when Avengers made a billion dollars? Yeah. <laughs> yep. If everyone has a base subscription, they make $944 million a month. Jesus. Because there's currently 118 million people subscribed to Disney Plus. They could put movies in theaters and have them make nothing. <laughs> and they would and they would still be set for life. Yes. That is terrifying. And to think it only costs each person eight bucks. Just to get basic Disney. And you get so much with just basic Disney. Some, something something I just realized. Um, because because I was like one of the founder members and signed up for like the three year deal, I have not I have not had to pay for Disney Plus since 2019. Wow. Jesus Good gracious. The mouse is coming to collect soon. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, yeah. Once my once my credit card expires, then, um, then then I'll have to start paying. Michael. Yeah. The oh, time to put You guys, you guys remember when you thought it was a lot of money that we paid seventy six billion dollars for Fox when we made it back this year? Whoa. <laughs> well, on that note, that concludes uh, <laughs> this episode. One box later. <laughs> That concludes this episode of uh, Renegade Capes. Um, before we head out of here, Hayden, where can everyone find you online? Everybody can find me on Twitter at the Hayden Wilder, and on Instagram at Hayden Wilder. And Josh, you can find me on Twitter at JSH Lozano, where I've been posting stills from Roulette, the my new short film that I just finished wrapping principal photography of literally a couple days ago. Very nice. And uh, you can go ahead and subscribe to me on YouTube at joshboy64. I uploaded a whopping two videos this year. And next year, I'm going to aim to upload five, hopefully. We'll see how that goes out. And uh, you can also check me out on Instagram at joshualozano64, where I shared some behind-the-scenes stuff of Ruleta on my Instagram story because I don't know how to use that app for the life of me. 
And you can check me out on Facebook or Meta. I don't know what it's called now. In the Renegade Pop Culture group. Brock, where can everyone find you? I don't understand. I don't understand Instagram either, Josh. You're not alone. I never <laughs> use it for that reason. It's confusing. You can find me le legitimately everywhere on Organoid Zero, except Instagram, despite the fact that I have one. <laughs> and you guys can find me on Twitter at CaptainK42. You can check out my quick thoughts on letterbox.com slash CoachK42. And you can find me in all the various Facebook groups just at my name. You can check out Renegade Pop Culture on Facebook and Twitter at Ren Pop Culture. Look for us on Podchaser. Listen to all of our podcasts on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. And last but not least, everything we found at RenegadePopCulture.com. You can escape, so do we. That'll do it for this episode of Renegade Capes. We will catch you guys later.